Good morning. I just want to continue on with what uh, Chad has brought to us in worship this morning. I think there was a number of times we were singing this morning about this idea of joy, of joy. Uh, One of the lines, I didn't notice it, but there's other verses to what child is this, and one of the lines says, joy, joy, for Christ is born. The birth of Christ, what theologians call uh, the incarnation God taking on human flesh. This brought and continues to bring lasting joy into our world. It's a little bit of a coincidence. I didn't know that joy was going to be here on the stage, but I really want us to think about this idea of joy. The joy we experience at Christmas and the joy we should be experiencing all year round because of Christ. But you know, sometimes, sometimes in my life, I think probably sometimes in your lives, we don't Experience. We're not experiencing this, this joy that we talk about, even and maybe especially at this time of year. Joy may be hard to find. Our lives are so full of Christmas distractions that we miss out on the joy of Christ. This year I found myself experiencing much more Christmas stress than Christmas joy. Buying presents, who, what do I, who do I get? What do I get for this person or that person? Putting up lights on the house and almost falling off the ladder, which is, you know, my wife was holding on, fortunately. Buying a new, a brand new fake tree, only to have to return it because some of the lights, I mean, that was really a bummer. You set it all up, you go, you flip the switch, there are lights, it's pre-lit, lights don't work, to box it back up, take it back to the store. What a drag. Preparing the Christmas Sunday sermon. A little stressful because I have to prepare the Christmas Eve message too. I know I get paid for these things, but still, there's stress building up. And then there's the annual Christmas picture and the letter that goes with it. What should we write in the letter? Who should we put in the picture? Just the family? What about the fiancés and the boyfriends? What about the dogs? They didn't make the picture. Can anyone relate to this stress that just comes oftentimes at Christmas? Have you found yourself so focused on your Christmas to-do list that the joy of Christmas is hard to get? It's out there. It's nowhere to be found, maybe. Well, this morning, this Christmas Sunday, I want us to take time out. Time out for busy schedules. And I want us to recapture, maybe even capture for the first time, The joy, the true joy that Christ brings. You know, He is the source of true and lasting joy. Joy, joy, for Christ is born. And when we take our eyes and our minds and our hearts off of Him, that's when our joy fades. So this morning, I want us to open our eyes, I want us to open our hearts, open our minds to Christ, to Him. To who He is, and to what he's accomplished. And to do that, I want us to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This is the passage that Ascension read for us during Advent this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This is the glorious description that the angel Gabriel gives to the Virgin Mary of the child that she would conceive and give birth to. The child that would 
enter into our world? For in this description, we'll find the answers to the question, what child is this? And if you accept, if you believe, and if you apply these answers, I guarantee you that that's when, that's where, you'll find the true lasting joy that he offers. Not just joy at Christmas, not just the joy of the Christmas season, but joy year-round. Joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Now this passage, Luke 1, 26-38, it isn't your standard Christmas story. Now we find the standard Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, we read about Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem because of the census. Remember, a census is decreed and they have to go to Bethlehem because Joseph, it's family line. He's from the line of David. We'll talk about that in a minute. Bethlehem's the city of David. And they go, and there's no room at the inn, so Mary gives birth, probably, Scripture doesn't actually say, probably in some kind of stable or or cave, and she lays the, the baby Jesus in a manger. Luke 2 is also where we find the angels announcing to the shepherds the birth of Jesus Christ. Basically, Luke 2 is that is the actual birth of Jesus. That's where we find the nativity scene that we're familiar with, minus the three wise men who don't show up till, till later. So what we find in Luke chapter 1 is really a preparation for what happens in Luke chapter 2, which is good since Luke chapter 1 comes before Luke chapter 2. The Bible's, the Bible's good that way. In Luke 1, verses 26 through 38, we read about God sending his messenger. That's what the word angel means. It means messenger. His, his messenger, Gabriel, to the Virgin Mary. And, and Gabriel's message to Mary is that she's going to give birth to a child, to a son. Now, if you read Luke chapter 1, you'll notice that this is the second message that Gabriel brings in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 1, verse 19, Gabriel's already appeared to a, to a man named Zechariah. And, and he announces to Zechariah also a birth, a birth of his son. His son would be John the Baptist. John the Baptist would be the the forerunner to Jesus. He would prepare the way. Then in chapter 2, verse 26, Gabriel appears to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus. So Gabriel's got two jobs here, one in chapter 1, chapter 2, announcing the birth of these two men. Why does God do that? Why does he send an angel to announce this coming. I think it's because he wants to be clear to everyone involved, to the people then and to us now as we read it today, that he's at work. Something's happening here. This is the crucial time in history. I'm sending a messenger to let you know about this time in history. Zachariah's wife Elizabeth was both barren and beyond the age of having children, but God caused her to conceive and give birth to John the Baptist. Mary is a virgin, but God enabled her to conceive and give birth to Jesus. The truth that Gabriel announces to Mary in Luke 1.37 is clear in both of these cases. For nothing will be impossible with God. With God, the barren and the virgin give birth. And no matter what your life situation, I know some, of, some in our congregation are dealing with sickness. We have people that are not here today, and I've got text messages. Okay, I'm sorry, can't be there. I'm going I'm to be sick. I'm not going to be sick. I am sick. 
I think that's what it, I think that's what it was. We have sickness, and some have severe sickness. We have family here with a daughter in the, in the hospital, won't be home for Christmas. I know others are struggling financially, but be assured, with God, nothing is impossible. With God, we can find true, lasting, no matter what your situation is, we can find true, lasting joy in this child who's born of Mary. So let's examine Gabriel's proclamation, this proclamation of of the Christ that would come. When he first appears to Mary, he greets her with these words, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That word favored, it means the free bestowal of grace. The very first thing that Gabriel says to Mary is that she is going to be a recipient of God's favor, of God's grace. And what do we know about grace? I hope we learned something last week. I hear there was a sermon that had something to do with grace from Jim last week. Thank you, Jim, for filling in last week. Grace is an undeserved free gift from God. You get this undeserved, undeserved free gift from God, which means that Mary, Mary didn't deserve this honor. There were certainly other virgins in Israel. God could have prepared and chosen any one of them. But in his grace, he chooses Mary. And that's good news. That's good news for us. Let that be the beginning of our joy as we think about that. For as God bestowed favor, as he bestowed grace on Mary, he will in her child, in Mary's son, Bestow grace and favor on the world. The Apostle John makes this clear in his announcement. The Apostle John has a little different take on the incarnation. He puts it like this in, in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, Christ, becomes flesh and dwells among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from this fullness we have received grace upon grace. From this fullness in Christ we receive grace upon grace upon grace. Let us rejoice because when this child entered our world, he came full of grace. Grace that he he freely gives. He freely offers. Grace upon grace. Gabriel says to Mary, you're favored. You've received God's grace. He's with you. And in verse 29, we see, Mary, we see what Mary is feeling about this. But she was greatly troubled at, this, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Gabriel says that Mary has found favor, grace with the Lord, that the Lord is with her. So why is, why is she greatly troubled? What's, what's up with that? Well, wouldn't you be? <laughs> if out of the blue, a, a messenger, an angel, we don't, we don't really know what these guys look like. You know, I'm not... I'm not sure if the depictions are correct, but something big time, shining, you know, the, the shepherds were afraid. Everybody seems to be afraid when the angels show up. This purity, I think, that they protrude into our uh, sinful world brings fear. God appeared to you, even with words of grace, Mary. She says, what does this mean? Why am I favored? How is the Lord with me? Mary isn't exactly thrilled with Gabriel's appearance, his greeting. 
She's not only troubled, but she's afraid. Luke doesn't record if Mary said anything at this point, but apparently Gabriel, being an angel, he could read her body language. He's very perceptive to what she's feeling. He says in verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel reassures her. Okay, here's, here it is again. Greetings, you found favor with God. The Lord's with you now. Don't be afraid. You found grace. This is grace. This is good news. God is bringing grace into your life, Mary. And then Gabriel gets to the heart of the message. What, what, what are you here for? What follows is the, is the setup for what we'll find in Luke chapter 2. It's the setup for that, that beautiful picture of the nativity. We don't have a we got the manger. Jesus is coming on Christmas Eve, just so you know. What follows is the reason that the birth of Jesus is so very important. In the verses that follow, the angel Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to have a child. And then he gives her a description of this child. It's not everything about him, but it's, it's a great beginning. Who is this child and why is he so important? That's the the question that Gabriel answers. And that's the question I want us to think about this morning. Who is this child? Why is his birth celebrated around the world? Why do people gather throughout the year to worship him? Why do people give their lives to him? Why do people give their lives for him? In Gabriel's announcement to Mary, we find answers to these questions. Why is he so worthy of all of this. And in these answers, I believe we can find our true and our lasting joy. Gabriel gives, what I, what I, as I counted them up, maybe you count differently, but Gabriel gives Mary five answers to the question, what child is this? And I want us to look at these answers, and maybe in a new and a deeper way to come to understand who this child truly is. And once we understand who he is, Once we get it, once we've answered that question, who is this child? What child is this? Then we have to ask ourselves, how will we respond to this child? If what we're going to talk about, if what we're going to reveal, what Gabriel says is true, then we have to say, what does that mean for us? How are we going to respond? So we'll look at that at the end. But first, let's get a solid understanding of what child is this. And the first thing that Gabriel tells Mary is that the child will be the Savior. The child will be the Savior. And behold, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, I realize in our English, this verse doesn't specifically say that the child will be a Savior. But the name Jesus, if you don't know, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Yeshua, or Joshua. And Joshua, Jesus, means Savior, Deliverer. Now, my name is Richard Clifford. Did you guys know that? All right, some of you did. Richard is Germanic, and it means king or ruler. Right on? Richard, all right. Clifford is Old English, and it means ford by the side of a cliff. And I'm not talking about a Ford Mustang. 
but a shallow water, you know, I can ford that, I can cross that, a, 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 a shallow area of shallow water that can be crossed. There's going to be a quiz, so write this down. So my name, my name, literally means I am a king of shallow water beside a cliff. All right. Now my point is, just because your name something doesn't make it so. However, when your name something by an angel sent from God, when God gives you a name, it's, just, it's, it's not just something you call yourself, but it's a description of who you are, of who you'll be, of what you'll do. The child that Mary will conceive and give birth to will be the Savior. In fact, when the angel announces Jesus' birth to Joseph, he spells it out. The angel says to Joseph, and this is in Matthew, not in Luke, in Matthew one twenty one, the angel says to Joseph, she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You'll call him Savior because he's going to save his people. His name is Jesus, Savior, because he's going to save his people from their sins. That's who this child is. That's what this child will do for us. Now think about this for a moment. Think about, I know this isn't pleasant, but think about every vile, every debased, every sinful thing that you've ever done. Every lie you've told, every person you've wronged, every lustful, prideful, hateful thought or deed that you've done or had. This child can save you from those things. And you know what? He saves you in two ways. And this is awesome. First, through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, he pays the penalty for the sins you have and will commit. He takes it on. It's put on him. It's no longer you. He dies in your place. He's raised from the dead, showing that he has power over death, power over sin. That's Easter. But that's what Gabriel has in view. Christmas, the birth of Christ, would have no meaning without Easter, the death and resurrection of Christ. As the song said, and I don't know if we sang this verse either. I should have checked the verses we were singing before I wrote the sermon and asked Chad to sing the song. It says, nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. First, He will save you from the sins you commit. And second, and this is key, by giving you the gift of himself, by giving you the power, the filling of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, by coming to dwell in you, by setting up camp, by tenting with you in your life, he transforms your heart. He transforms your desires. He gives you a new heart. He gives you new holy desires. We'll talk about the holiness in a little bit. He will save you from sinning. He he saves you from the sins you commit, and He saves you from committing sins. Not completely, unfortunately. There's still things we have to deal with. We still live in a fallen world. We still have to deal with our flesh. But the more we submit to Him, the less we sin. And remember, always remember, it's all grace. Mary got grace, we get grace. We can't earn it, we don't deserve it. He is the Savior. 
He will be full of grace, and we will be saved by that grace. That, that, my friends, brothers and sisters, is who this child is. But don't miss one very important thing. This is key. He's not going to save all the people. He's the Savior, but he's not going to save everyone. The angel says he's going to save his people. And who are his people? His people are his people. The people who have put their faith, put their trust in him, the people who follow him, the people who have turned from their sins and turned to him, to Jesus Christ, their Savior. We are saved by grace through faith. His people are those that put their faith in Him. So if you're His people, if you've put your faith, your trust, your belief in Him, then this morning and and every morning, you have an overwhelming reason to rejoice, to experience the joy of this Christmas. Because this child is the one who saves you from your sin. So rejoice. This child is the Savior. This child is your Savior. Second, Gabriel says to Mary, he will be great. He will be great. That may be an understatement. We'll go there. From Mary's perspective, the child will be great. And from our perspective, he has and continues to be great. That word great is, is a Greek word that means abundant, more than enough, overflowing in abundance. CNN reported that uh, 11 trillion gallons of rain is still needed to end the California drought. I, I'm suspicious about this, but anyway, that's not the point. So a great rain for California would be Anything over 11 trillion gallons, that would be a great rain. Great rain. The child will be great, abundant, more than enough. He has more than enough power, more than enough ability, more than enough grace to accomplish his purposes. Let's think for a moment just how great he is. When we speak of greatness in our physical, in our physical world, there's, there's nothing greater than creation. It's, it's amazing. The universe itself, I mean, just think about it. Grab a telescope someday or something, and just the vastness of the universe. Search universe on Google and just see the amazing pictures of our universe. Look around us, just on this earth. The universe itself is vast. It's, a, it's abundant. The scripture teaches that through this child, the universe Everything was created. Colossians 1.1, the Apostle Paul writes, For by him, this child that we're talking about this morning, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Is there anything in this world that gets you going, gets you excited, something you want to see and do? Something that you'd go out of your your way to, to look at, to see and hear. Maybe the Hawaiian Islands. Have you, have you been there? I hear it's beautiful. The Grand Canyon. I've been there. It's vast. It's amazing to look at. Yellowstone, Yosemite. You name it. This child 
made it. And he's greater than it. If you took all the greatest people in all areas of life throughout all of history and put them in a room with this child, their greatness would pale in comparison to him. The, the famous boxer, Muhammad Ali, who said of himself again and again, I'm the greatest, would be forced to his knees with only a look if he were to enter the ring with this child. I know it's not a true story, but I still love, you know, if you're going to come to this church, you've got to watch one movie, Ben-Hur. Okay. I know it's not a true story, but I love this scene in Ben-Hur when Jesus is giving water to, to Ben. Ben is, a, at this point, a Roman prisoner. He's been marching in the desert all day long, and he's, he's parched. They won't give him a drink, the Romans. Jesus comes on the scene. You don't see his face, but just his, just his back. Filled with compassion, he begins to give Ben water. And a Roman soldier comes and tries to stop him and with not even a word, just a, a look, just a head turn at the Roman soldier. The soldier turns away in fear and in shame. There's nothing that this child cannot do a thousand times better, a thousand times more powerful than any person you or I admire most in any area of human endeavor. And it's this child that came into our world that became one of us to save us. Be assured that He has the abundant, more than enough power, more than enough ability, more than enough grace, full of grace, grace upon grace, to not only save us from our sin, but get this, to grant us eternal life, to transform us into His image. When we see Him, we will be like Him. Hallelujah to create in us a new, a clean heart. So second, rejoice in His power, in His greatness, in His ability, in His abundant grace. And third, the child will be the Son of God. Gabriel says, and will be called the Son of the Most High in verse 32. Then in Luke, and in verse 35, he says, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. This child will not only be the babe, the son of Mary, he will be the son of the Most High, the Son of God. Now as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, Scripture says that that we too are, are children of God, we're sons and daughters of God. But here, Gabriel is giving a description of what distinguishes this, excuse me, this child from others. His sonship is different from yours or mine. As the Apostle Paul again wrote in Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the eternal Son of God. We're sons and daughters. We have the ability to be, the opportunity to be sons and daughters of God only because He came and was one of us. Because He lived among us. Because He died for us. So this child is the unique Son of God. His birth will mark the most unique event in all of history. That moment, that time when God takes on human flesh, when the divine becomes human. This child will be fully 100% God and fully 100% man, the Son of Mary and the Son of God. Theologians call this the, get this one, 
hypostatic union. You got that? Did you write that down? There'll be a quiz, again. The incarnation, the hypostatic union, the meaning of my name. That's all. No, really, no quiz. And we don't have to remember these theological terms. But we do need to understand that in order for this child to be our Savior, he had to be both human and divine. It was through his divinity, his sonship to God, that he's able to live that sinless life, to become that perfect, spotless sacrifice. And it was because of his humanness, his humanity, that he's able to be a sacrifice for human beings, for you and I. Gabriel says, Mary, you don't have to fully grasp the hypostatic union, but know this, the child, the human, that you'll conceive and give birth to will be the unique Son of the Most High, the Son of God. He will be divine. And because of both His humanity and His divinity, He alone can save us. He alone can be the Savior. So third, rejoice that this child is the Son of God. Fourth, the child will be king. And the Lord will give to you the throne, Gabriel says to Mary, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. In the Old Testament, it teaches us that that David, the King David, if you remember the guy that slew Goliath, became the king of Israel, that his kingdom, Scripture says, his kingdom will never end. There will always be. His, His kingdom will go on. Therefore, for this child to be king... He must first be a legal descendant of David. And that takes us back to verse 26, the beginning of of Gabriel's announcement. Well, it's actually not his announcement. It's Luke's announcement of Gabriel's announcement, where Luke introduces us to Mary and Joseph. He says, Luke writes, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So Joseph and Mary are betrothed. They're promised to one another, engaged. Recently, we've had a couple of betrothals in my family. My son, Michael. Hi, Mike. And and Ashley. Some of you know Ashley. Have been betrothed for a couple months, right? All right, that's neat. And yesterday, my daughter, Beth was betrothed yesterday, so I'm still getting getting into this, was betrothed to a young man named Chris Curtis. Now, before Beth was betrothed, Chris took me out to lunch, and he asked me if he could marry my daughter. And after a few hours of grilling questions, getting at the heart of this whole thing, I, I said, okay. And so yesterday, he asked her to marry him. Now, in our day, betrothal, or what what we call engagement, doesn't have any legal uh, ramifications. Until you walk the aisle and say, I do, there's no legal obligation. But for Mary and Joseph, betrothal was a legally binding covenant, breakable only by divorce. You had to, when you're betrothed, it's, it's, it's legal. It's going to happen unless you do a, a divorce papers. Mary would give birth to the child, But Joseph, her betrothed, would be in the eyes of the law, his father. Therefore, Luke makes it clear that Joseph is of the house of David. 
the legal relationship Joseph had with this child puts Jesus in the Davidic line, in the legal Davidic line. So the child can and will fulfill all the prophecies that a son of David will rule over Israel. The child will become the king of the Jews. He will follow in his father David's footsteps. But more than that, John writes of Jesus in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. He says, this is God speaking to the Son. I will give authority over the nations and He will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received authority from my Father. This child will not only rule over Israel, but this child will be the king of all nations. Gabriel in verse 33 goes on to say, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will be no end. This child will not only be a a king, he will be the universal and eternal king. And you know what that means? If you think about it, this child is alive and he's ruling over people right now at, what time is it? Check. Right about 11? At 11 o'clock this Sunday, December 21st, Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning over this world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this child, that Jesus Christ is ruling over the affairs of this world, that He's sovereign, that He has authority over every other ruler and leader on our planet? And maybe even more importantly, do you believe, have you accepted Him as your King? He is the universal eternal King, irregardless. Oh, I did it again using that word, regardless of what you do with him. But the question is, have you accepted him as your king? Do you bow before him as your ruler? Is he the one in charge of your life? Because if Gabriel has spoken truth, the issue for you and for me and for every person throughout history is this. Will you bow before the kingship of this child? of Jesus Christ? Will you release control of your life to Him? So forth, rejoice that this child is the King of all nations, of all peoples, but rejoice even more if He's the King of your soul, of your life. And finally, fifth, the child will be holy. The child will be holy. So Gabriel's laid it out there for Mary and Verses 31, 33. He's given her an amazing look at the child God is going to give her. And instead of uh, passing out, which may have been appropriate, are you kidding me? Or instead of mocking, that's not possible. What are you talking about? That's what Zechariah did, if you remember in in Luke chapter 1, and you remember what happened to him. He got struck dumb until John was born. Mary didn't do any of that. She just says... Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be? I'm still a virgin. Mary was a virgin, but she still knew how babies were born. And she humbly asked a very reasonable question. How can this happen? How can I have a son? I'm still a virgin. And Gabriel answers in verse 35. Powerful, powerful verse. And the angel said to her, answered her, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Gabriel's answer to Mary's question, how, is very simply and delicately the Holy Spirit. How can a virgin have a child? How can a human child be the divine Son of God? Answer, the Holy Spirit. And the result of this mysterious, and it is mysterious, union between Mary and the Holy Spirit is the Holy Son of God. The Holy Son of God. That word holy means pure and good, without defect or deficiency or blemish. Perfect. This child would not only be born holy, he would live a holy life. He would and did in every deed throughout his entire life obey his heavenly Father. He would 100% of the time, 100% of the time, in every aspect, every time, submit to the will of God for his life. Even in, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you remember the story, when Jesus Christ faced his greatest temptation. You know, I, we talk about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and and I, I don't know, but I think that that was that 40 days of fasting and then the Satan coming and tempting him, that was a, a piece of cake compared to what happened in Gethsemane. When he was sweating drops of blood as he thought about the coming cross, as he prepared, not just for a human physical death, but as he prepared to take on the sins, this is a mystery, to take on the sins of humanity, to experience for the first time as He took on your sins and mine, a separation from His Father. His Father had to turn from Him. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? He says. So as He, as he faces this temptation, He says, He prays in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Father, if You're willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but yours be done. The humble submission of Jesus Christ. In all things, this child, what became, that became a man, was wholly obedient to his heavenly Father. And it's the holiness of this child that's the key to our salvation. It means that this child was fit to die as the perfect Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Rejoice! And again I say rejoice that this child will be and was holy for you and I. That He might be our sacrifice. So what child is this? Gabriel says to Mary, fear not. Rejoice! This human child will be the great, the holy, the divine Son of God. He will be the the Savior of the world and the, the King of the world, the King of all nations. This child will be Jesus, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. And the question that follows, has to follow for us this Christmas Sunday, 2014, is how will we How will we respond to this child? 
How will we respond to this child that brought grace upon grace and joy upon joy into our world? Let me suggest a response. Let me suggest that we follow Mary's example. Mary who had received God's grace after hearing what must have been overwhelming news. I mean, just think about the things that are going on in her mind. What are people going to think of me? What's Joseph going to think? That a virgin would not only be pregnant, but she would carry the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. She hears all this. She takes it in and says to the angel Gabriel, Behold, this is verse 38, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm the servant of the Lord. Now, if what we've seen this morning is true, if this child that we celebrate, and not only we celebrate, people, you know, we're a pretty small group here. People all over the world are celebrating, have celebrated, continue to celebrate this truly great and holy and divine Son of God, this Savior and King of the world. If what Gabriel announced about Him is true, then what other choice is there but to say with Mary, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to Your Word. Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Yes, Yes, Lord, let the Holy Spirit come upon me. Let the power of the Most High overshadow me, that the child that I bear will be called the Holy Son of God. She submitted to God's will for her life. Now, we're not being asked, I guarantee you, to give birth to the Son of God. That's already taken place. That's what we celebrate this Christmas season, every Christmas season. That's what we celebrate really every week. We're not being asked to give birth to this child, but if you think about it, if you think about it, we're being asked to do something maybe even a little little greater, a little more difficult. We're being asked to give our lives to this child, to give our lives to and for this child, to give it up. Him, to believe that He is the great, holy, divine Son of God, to receive Him as our Savior, to make Him the King of our life, to put our faith in His grace, to trust that it is His power, His ability, His grace that will save us, to serve Him, to obey Him, to live every day of our life, every moment of our life for Him. That's it. Can you say with Mary, Behold, I'm the servant. Let it be according to your word. That's the radical response we're called to have to this child, to Jesus Christ. And so, this morning, I would just encourage you. I'd encourage each and every one of of us to examine our, our hearts, to examine our lives. Are we, are we living that way? We may be saying, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll say that. I'll, but is that what your life reflects? Does your life reflect that Jesus is your king? 
As we leave this place and enter again into the busyness and the over, the distractions we have in our world is, are phenomenal. As we enter into that again, these final days of the Christmas season, we need to remember the joy and the grace that Jesus brings into our world. We need to ask ourselves, do we truly know this child that we celebrate, that we light candles for? Are we experiencing not Him, not just at Christmas, but year-round? Are we experiencing the joy and the grace of His salvation? Bottom line it, is He, is this child, is Jesus Christ your Savior? Is He your King? And, and no confusion here. They go together. You don't get Him as Savior and not, I don't want that King stuff. I want to rule my life. It's okay if He saves me. You can't just pick and choose what parts of Jesus. He is the King. If you receive Him, He will be the King of your life. So if He's not the King, He's not the Savior. Be clear. Because it's only when we receive Him for who He is, the great and the holy and the divine Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, it's only then that we get to experience that grace. Remember, it's His people. When we become His people, we experience the grace and the joy that He brings. As I conclude today, as I pray today, I just want to give you an opportunity, whether you've trusted in Him before or haven't, to put your faith in this child, this child that that grew to be our Savior. He became a man. He became the Savior. He became the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So would you join me in prayer? And just take this opportunity as I pray in your heart to reconfirm, to confirm for the first time, or to reconfirm that Jesus Christ is my Savior. He's my King. Lord God, we cannot, there are no words to thank you enough for sending Jesus into our world. Lord, we attempt, we sing songs, we do our best, but there is nothing, it's beyond us, to think of the amazing joy and grace that he brought into our world. And so, Father, I just want to I want to pray for myself and pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray and I ask them to pray with me that you would, you would transform us, that you, would, that you would draw us even more into your presence, Lord, that we would today give everything to you, that we would say yes in our hearts and our minds, that we would say yes, Jesus is my Savior. I can't save myself. It's only through Christ that I'm saved. His death paid the penalty for my sins. His life, His resurrection shows that He had the power. Lord, and we receive Your grace. Lord, and and we ask You, we ask You, we invite You to come in and take charge of our lives to be that King, to be that divine Son, that King of kings and Lord of lords over the nations, yes, Lord, but in our lives as well. Lord, we surrender everything to You for You are worthy of all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand with us.